Great to be able to gather around the Word of the Lord. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Gospel of Luke chapter 6, verse 43. And we're going to launch into things and see where the Lord will lead us today. But before we do anything else, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each and every one of us that's gathered here today. Thank you that you know us by name. Thank you that you purposed us in your heart before you laid the foundation of the world. Thank you, Lord, that you know our thoughts, and not just our thoughts, but the innermost secrets of our hearts, even before we think them. Thank you that you know us so completely, and even though you see us so completely, your word proclaims that the thoughts of good, of love, of kindness that you have towards us outnumber the grain of sea, the sand at the sea. Thank you that you are a limitless, faithful, loving, merciful Heavenly Father. And I thank you, Lord, not only are we here, but you are here in our midst. So would you open our eyes to see you? Would you open our ears to hear your voice? Open the eyes of our heart. May they be enlightened to see the fullness of who you are. To even glimpse just a a fraction of your incredible love for us. Lord, I pray that this would be a moment this morning to drink deeply. Drink deeply of your mercy. Drink deeply of your love and your goodness and your grace. Mercies that are new today for us. I thank you that you never sent anyone away empty-handed. And I pray that we would leave today in the fullness of all that you have for us. Fill us afresh, God. Do whatever you've got to do. Remove the hardness of our hearts. Break through the the lies and the stuff and the baggage that so often hangs around or break through into the midst, into our midst today. And may your name be glorified, I pray. Your wonderful name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. So I'd, I'd like to begin a bit of a journey, a journey that'll take us a couple of weeks and really my heart this morning is to paint a bit of a scene, to paint a bit of a, a picture that hopefully we can develop and unpack a little as we progress. So we're reading a passage here in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. This is coming to the conclusion of a sermon that Jesus has proclaimed. Certainly his disciples are in the picture. Could be a, a great crowd, could have been a smaller crowd. Luke's not specific in exactly who is being addressed. But Jesus has, has gone some places. If you just glimpse a little earlier in chapter 6, he's talked about loving your enemies. Who enjoys that passage? Sometimes it's hard enough to love our friends, isn't it? Love your enemies. He then goes on, he talks about not judging others. There's another one. Forgive and you will be forgiven. There's a verse that we need to sit up 
and take notice of. And then he finishes just prior to the passage that we're going to read about not being a hypocrite, making sure that our own eyes are clear. Don't point out the speck until you've dealt with the log in your own. I mean, this is, this is not a feel-good sermon, is it? These are some harsh words of Jesus. This wasn't, you know, how to draw a crowd and how to preach things that would tickle their ears. Jesus is going some places. Jesus is addressing some things, and, and maybe the people around him were a little shell-shocked. They're thinking, well, how is this even possible? Perhaps, perhaps that's the context. But after having covered many of those different areas, Jesus speaks these words in Luke 6.43. He says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What is it that Jesus is trying to address? And I would suggest this. He's not really going after people's behavior. He's really interested in people's hearts. He's saying, you see all this? This all flows, this all comes from the abundance, or some translations say the overflow. I kind of like that picture. There's a flow. Hearts are like a spring. There's a flow. What is flowing forth from your heart? What is the overflow of your heart? Perhaps you had a moment this week where you were cut off in traffic. What was the overflow of your heart? Bless them, Lord. Bless them. Perhaps you've been at home with school-age children, wondering when, Lord, when will school resume, school holidays be over. Perhaps they're pushing all of your buttons. Won't ask for a show of hands who that might be applicable to. But what's the overflow of your heart when you're stressed, when you're squeezed, when you're tested, when you're under pressure? What is it that bubbles out? What is it that comes forth? Jesus proclaims here, for out of the overflow, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We act, we move, we live. See, Jesus is saying here that the heart matters. What's in your heart matters. What is in your heart? Jesus is saying, this is what I'm trying to get you to understand. See, the gospel is not just a gospel of behavioral management. Jesus didn't come just to say, here's a few ideas, a few tips. Here's even a list of instructions that you need to obey. You need to conform your behavior to fit these particular parameters. The gospel is not a message of behavioral management. It's a heart transplant. He's saying, this is what I'm trying to get to. What's in your heart actually matters. The gospel is a message of internal transformation. Jesus himself, he didn't say, love the Lord your God with all your good behavior. Now, don't get me wrong, behavior is important. But what Jesus is saying is that's just the fruit. The way that you're acting, the way that you're reacting, the way that you're 
responding, the way that you're behaving is really just the fruit of the reality of what is deep down in your heart. You see, Jesus cares about our hearts. He cares enough to point us and direct us into an examination of what is in your heart. What is the overflow of your heart? And this is actually a pattern throughout Scripture. There's over a thousand different references in the Bible pointing us towards examining our hearts, both from a good perspective and a bad perspective. If your heart is in this sort of a place, there will be this sort of fruit. If your heart is here, then there will be good fruit. That's the promise. From a good heart, good fruit flows forth. From a bad heart, an evil heart, a corrupted heart, a poisoned heart, bad fruit flows forth. And I think this is worth us examining because if you think about this, what is the first thing that God sees when he looks at us? I would suggest a a passage to back up my suggestion, 1 Samuel 16, 7. He says, man looks to the outward appearance. See, so often we are concerned with the external. We're concerned with the outward appearance. We're concerned on managing and maintaining everything here. But it says not so with God. God looks to the, the heart. Man looks to the outward appearance, but God is interested in your heart. I want to go to one other passage of Scripture just to set the scene. We're going to go to Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 27. And what I'm really getting to, if you want a title, if you want something to hang your hat on, I want to talk about heart matters or matters of the heart. That wasn't an overwhelming response, but we will persevere and press on. So one more passage of of Scripture, Proverbs 4, verse 20. It says this, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. And here's the key verse in verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Some translations say guard your heart. The picture there is literally of Protect it, guard it, keep it, be aware of what's going on. With all vigilance, some translations say, above all things. There's a priority, there's an importance. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, put away devious talk, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Do not turn your feet or turn your feet away from evil. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, there's a couple of things. Let's put those two passages together. We've got Jesus, Jesus' words, Jesus' encouragement. We've got this passage here in Proverbs 4. There's a couple of things we could say. Number one, our hearts are valuable. Our hearts are valuable. You see, we read here that we are to guard or to keep our hearts above all else. This is not a suggestion that perhaps when you have time, 
once you've got through the rest of your daily activities, if there's some leftover time, perhaps you should attend to your heart. The instruction here, there's, there's an urgency to it. Recognize that this is valuable and make it your top priority. So we don't guard worthless things. Every week happens without fail. I collect the, uh, the garbage bin and I put it on the back of my car because we've got a very long driveway down the hill and I take it and I leave it miles away from the house sitting there on the street ready to be collected. There's no security cameras there. I'm not eagerly sitting on my porch wondering, is someone going to come and steal my trash? Why? Why am I not concerned? Because it's rubbish. If they want to take my trash, knock yourself out. Help yourself. On the other hand, if somebody came up my driveway with bad intentions and I knew that they were there to do harm to me or to my family, I can guarantee you that I would be ready and waiting. I would be greatly vigilant with all kindness and all mercy and with my shotgun, just in case any eventuality occurred. Why? Because that which is in my house is valuable. You see, we take care of and we look after things that are valuable. And that's really what Proverbs is saying. That's really what Jesus is saying. He's saying, examine your heart. Take care of your heart. How often have you actually thought about the fact, you see, we spend all this time trying to manage behavior, managing all these things. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but hang on, hang on. It's really simple. The behavior is just the fruit of what's going on in your heart. That's all it is. This is not a behavior issue. This is a heart issue. So we're seeing here recognize that this is of all value. Seems fascinating to me that it's the beginning of a new year and without fail, most of us, I'm sure, would have some health goals for the new year. We're very aware of our physical health and that's not a bad thing at all. Statistics would suggest that probably 80% of us have already failed at our New Year's resolutions, but leave that aside. doesn't mean you're going to keep them, but we are very aware of our physical health and we, we know exactly what it is that we need to change. We need to perhaps increase the diet certain ways, decrease other elements of the diet. We need to exercise. We need to manage different things in our lives in order to contribute towards our physical health. In fact, if I was to ask most of you, how healthy do you think you are? How fit? Most of you, I'm sure, could at least give me an answer. It might be slightly exaggerated, but at least we'd have some awareness, wouldn't we, of our physical health. Whereas if I was to ask you, what is the health of your heart? How healthy is your heart? How many of you, and perhaps some of you could, perhaps some of you are very aware of how healthy your heart is. But this is valuable. This is pointing us towards a reality that we need to be aware of the healthiness of our heart. We've got to guard our heart because we see it as valuable. And here's the problem. Here's, here's what I see at times. In the same way that heart issues, physical heart issues, if, we're, if we have an unhealthy heart, unless you've gone to seek medical help, unless you've seen a professional because you've had a heart murmur or some sort of a heart condition, normally heart issues can go away completely undetected. There's no warning signs and then all of a sudden I've been there in the midst of seeing someone have a heart attack 
middle of an indoor cricket team. We're all playing, we're all having fun, and then instantly, without any warning, without any sign of anything being wrong, we're in a critical situation. And I would suggest that so often we need to be aware because these things can tick away. We're not even aware. But there's only so far we can manage things at times before there is a heart attack, so to speak, before there are serious complications from that which is within us. So number one is valuable. The second thing that I think is fascinating in this passage is that really Proverbs tells us that, in a sense, everything flows from our hearts. Keep your heart with all diligence because it's valuable. But here's why. For from it flow the springs of life. Some translations say from, from, from it flow the activities of life. From it flow the works. From it flow all the details of your life. Your heart affects everything else. You know, I, for one, am really thankful that we've had some rain. Anyone had some rain? Anyone have some epic storms over the last few days? I know there's hail and there's a bit of damage, but I'm thankful that we've had rain because we came out of a very dry winter and we, we live just out of, out of town on a little property there. And most years by the end of summer, our dam is completely dried up. But we have water for most of summer, depending on how much rain we've had. The, uh, the dam's generally dry by the end of summer. But this year, because we'd had such a dry winter, we began summer, even before summer. It was about halfway through spring, and the dam was totally dried up. There was no water anywhere, and as a result, obviously, everything was looking brown. It was looking dusty. It wasn't looking the the pretty green countryside that, of course, you love to look out on if you live in that sort of a vista. But then we had some rain at the beginning of summer, and all of a sudden, not only did everything turn green, as it does when it rains, but I was sitting out on my, my uh, front porch on the balcony one particular day after we'd had a big rainstorm, after having so many months of dry, so many months of dry weather, no rain, no water, and the thing that I couldn't get over is as I sat there, Everywhere around me was, and it was, it was nighttime, I don't think I said that, so I'm sitting there on the porch, it's nighttime, and all of a sudden, all around me were these noises and sounds of life. Now, there was little crickets, there was frogs down in the dam, which there normally is every summer, there was birds, there was animals I could see coming in to feed, even in the dark, but everywhere, it, was, it, it can almost be deafening at times, if you've been out in those particular settings, you'll know what I mean. You're away from the noise of the city and all you can hear is the life everywhere. And it kind of hit me that, yes, this is how it's supposed to be. But I'd got so used to everything being so dry, so used to there being no sign of life that you just kind of adjust to, well, yeah, this is normal. This is just the way it's supposed to be. Everything's dry. Everything's barren. There's no life. And then all of a sudden, there's a flow and life is everywhere. Ah, oh, that's right. That's right. This is how it's supposed to be. You see, Proverbs is describing our hearts like a wellspring of life. Your heart is supposed to be a source of life that flows. It brings refreshment. Jesus says, if you come to me and you ask, I'll give you rivers of living water flowing out from, some translations say, your belly or your heart. Same picture flowing out from within you, rivers of living water. That's the picture of how our hearts are supposed 
to operate and function. But so often, if we're honest, as we look around, we think, it's so dry. What's happened? And some of us can be really good at times of pretending that, oh, this is just normal. This is okay. I can deal with this. Everything's dead. Everything's dry. It's okay. I mean, who really needs water? Who needs life? I prefer death. Something, you know, just comforting about it. Perhaps that's the picture as you just examine your life. Perhaps you think, God, where is the life? Everything's dry. Everything's barren. And I would suggest or ask you this question. Have you been guarding your heart? Perhaps that dry picture doesn't apply to you. But, you know, the other thing that was interesting is we had all the the heavens open and all this water just rushing down and we live on the side of the mountain and I watched as it came down, but it didn't come down as crystal clear rainwater. I mean, I was amazed that what came out of the heavens as beautiful, refreshing, catch it in a bottle and put it on tap and make a fortune sort of water was coming down the mountain as what? Like brown rivers of stuff. I mean, it was just picking up things as it went down. There was dead animals flowing down the creek. And I mean, you name it, it was in there. And I thought, how fascinating that there can be flows sometimes, but then there's so much stuff that just gets in the way that what begins as pure water, pure rainwater, ends up as just this cesspool of stuff. We poison the water, the flow becomes toxic. In either situation, we threaten life downstream because we're not taking care of our hearts. See, I I look around us, not just us here, in a general sense us, I look around the world and I often ask myself some questions. Maybe it's just me. Maybe some of you ask some similar questions. Why is it that at times we really struggle? Why is there seasons that feel so difficult? And obviously we have seasons where there's victories and seasons where there's, there's battles to be fought. But you see some people, some people face challenges and there's this unshakable joy and others completely fall apart. Why is that? Is it because we haven't taken time to guard our hearts from where flows the wellsprings of life? Why is it that for some of us, we fall spectacularly time and time again into temptation and sin and bondage? And others seem to sail through life with such fierce resilience, resolute through temptation and opposition. Is a piece of the puzzle at least because they are people who've taken time to guard their hearts with all vigilance. See, there's a picture I want to give us as we just set the scene here and... Remember, I said, this is really all introduction. I'm just painting the scene, so don't worry. Don't think he hasn't even got 20 points yet. We are in the introduction, but we're only getting as far as the introduction, so do not fear. But come with me. One more passage of Scripture. I want you to see Psalm 1. As we paint this scene, I want you to see this reality of what is possible. Who loves Psalm 1? Who knows already as you turn there, you're like, yes, this is a good passage of Scripture. It says this, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Some translations or one translation said this, whose delight, whose pleasure and passion is the I am, forever remaining true to him. On his law he meditates day and night, whose pleasure and passion is the Lord God and who remains forever true to him. And this is the picture. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but like the chaff, the wind dries them away. How many love that picture? I love that picture. And you know, that's not just a picture that's put in there as some unrealistic, untenable reality. I want to encourage you that that is a picture that's available for you. For each and every believer, there is a capacity. Isaiah talks about oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that we would be unmoved, unchanged, planted by streams of water in season and out of season. In everything we do, there's always green leaves, there's always prospering, there's always fruit. See, that is a promise that I believe each and every one of us can and should hold on to. We should hang on to that. That's, that's God's invitation to us. And I would suggest that if that is a reality that we want to grasp a hold of for ourselves, then we need to learn and understand and apply what it means to keep our hearts, to guard our hearts with all vigilance. And that brings me just to the third introductory reality. So we talked about the fact that hearts are valuable, that hearts affect everything. They flow into everything. And I I know I've said it before, but I want to emphasize this point. I think so often we get caught up in trying to manage behaviors. And even as we, we look at the world walking its particular path towards sinfulness and sinful living and everything that a holy God calls unholy. So often there is this tendency to go after the behaviours. Well, it's the behaviours that are so bad, and they are. But trying to address behaviours alone are never going to provide the solution. We don't need a behavioural management plan. The world doesn't need a behavioural management plan. We need a heart transplant. We need the glorious God who promised to come and save us from our sins. And he said, I'll take your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll write my law upon your heart. That's what we need. We need a new heart. We've got to remember that as we approach our own lives, but as we live for the glory of God and the world around us. We've got to stop just trying to go after behaviours. We've got to preach the only message that can bring about heart transformation. That's the power of the gospel, the power of a God who came to save. I was so encouraged. I think the thing that encouraged me as I watched the I Can Only Imagine movie, which I said I haven't seen, I don't know if I want to give away the plot, but probably most of you have seen it. But I won't give too much away other than to say this wonderful song that's gone around the world. It all came from 
the radical transformation of this particular guy's father, who'd gone from a violent, abusive, in his own description, a monster of a man, through to through the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ, a man who was his best friend, the father that I always wanted. That's the power of the gospel to transform hearts. And so often for us too, I see people, you know, counseling time and time again. Well, I'm just managing, trying to do this, and I'm, and I'm like, hang on. I know there's some behavior issues here, but how is your heart? How is your heart? You're never going to be able to stop the behavior without dealing with the heart. You've got to get your heart healed. You've got to get rid of the stuff that's just polluting and causing the, the power of his spirit, the rivers of living water, to come out as rivers of just stuff. And we're going to delve into that next week. How do we do that? What are the things that we need to remove from our lives? It's going to be fun, though. Please come back. I promise. So there's a picture in Psalm 1 of this oak of righteousness, this planting of the Lord by streams of water, yielding fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. doesn't matter what's going on. That's our particular promise. Sorry, I got distracted. So the first point was valuable. The second one is it affects everything. And thirdly, it requires some effort. It requires some guarding. Like there is... There's urgency and an impetus in this particular passage. Take all vigilance to guard your heart. If it's valuable and it affects everything, then it makes sense that we want to guard it. But we need to be on alert. We need to be ready to act. You know, I, I know there's a, there's a danger in saying this at times, but it, it is a frustration of mine, and I believe completely in the sovereignty of God, There's a bit of Calvinist in me there somewhere. I believe so completely in his power and his authority to move and to change and to heal and to break through. I I believe in that completely, 100%. And I'll never stop preaching that. I'll never stop living that out. But sometimes, so often, I believe that we lose sight of the fact that we actually have some guarding to do. We actually have a role to play in this whole story. God's saying, I, I want to do all this, but I, I can see you're hanging on to unforgiveness. I mean, I hesitate to even mention it, but Jesus says, you'll be forgiven as you forgive. Let's move on really quickly from that one. That's, that's tough. But there is at times a role. Well, not at times. I mean, David said, Lord, search my heart. Show me the wickedness that's in there. Show me everything in me that is displeasing in your sight. God, I just want you. I just want more of you. Show me the stuff. And if we are required to guard, then there will be regularly things that will come to distract, that will come to poison. Maybe for some of you, it's disappointment, it's discouragement, it's disillusionment. We've just given up. God, it's too much. It's too hard. You know, I just forget about it. Maybe we're tempted to quit and just throw in the towel and walk, walk away. Maybe at times, it's, it's temptation. It's like, oh, but this... this 
Can I just dabble a little? Little secret sins of the heart. Maybe it is unforgiveness. Hanging on to bitterness. Hypocrisy. Judging others where we're never willing to look at our own. Maybe, maybe it's nothing on that list. Maybe it's something completely different. For each of us, it might be different things. But we've got to recognize that there is a need for us to guard our hearts. I want to conclude, and can I get the worship team or someone just to come and play? As I said, my mission this morning was really to paint, to paint a scene. To ask us a simple question and to provide a framework that I I would love us to just walk on. Not us as a people alone, but each and every one of us personally. What are the issues of my heart? What are my heart matters or my matters of the heart? And I'll conclude in this way. There's a A Puritan from the 1600s, John Flavel was his name. And he wrote many volumes, much work, each hundreds of pages long on the one particular passage we read in the book of Proverbs. Just because that's what Puritans do. They write a lot about very little. But he, he had this analogy that I think is just worth us considering. And he made this verse, the verse that says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And he said, the heart is like a, it's like a stringed instrument. And a stringed instrument for those who play, you'd know that virtually every time you pick it up, maybe sometimes it's not the case, but pretty much every time you pick up the instrument, what's the first thing you got to do? You got to tune it. You've got to tune it. I mean, it goes out of tune. When the weather's hot, when the weather's cold, when the weather's just in the middle, for no good reason at all, it goes out of tune. And the heart is the same. But we've continually got to be retuning our hearts. You know, he lived a fascinating life. Lived in the 1600s. It was a time where there was a particular act that banned him from preaching publicly. So he traveled the woods, the islands, anywhere he could where people would listen to his proclamation of the gospel. He experienced great persecution. He experienced great personal grief. Tragically lost his wife and his first child in the 20s. He lost a second wife to illness in his 40s. Many of his friends died of the plague while in prison. He lived a life of suffering, of hardship. And yet he proclaimed this message. And it was said that anyone who sat under his preaching, even the hardest of heart, the hardest of hearts would be impacted by his preaching. And this was the message that he proclaimed. How is it that he tuned his heart? How is it that he Recalibrated. How is it that he lived in spite of all of the opposition and all the stuff and all of his troubles? And yet he continued on and proclaimed the good news of the gospel. This is a quote from him. He says this. You want to know what the secret is? Christ. 
He is the very essence of all delights and pleasures, the very soul and substance of them. As all the rivers are gathered into the ocean, which is the congregation or meeting places of all the waters in the world, so Christ is that ocean, my ocean, in which all true delights and pleasures meet. You see, he talks about a song that's been sung since the dawn of creation and will be sung until the Lord returns again. The song of His everlasting love. If you want to tune your heart, if you want to guard your heart, you know, we're going to look next week at some of the, the stuff that we need to deal with. We need, we need to get rid of. We need to examine. We need to remove. But it begins with recognizing not what we don't need, but what we do need. And what we do need is Him. We need to never forget that saving faith, that believing in Jesus, it's not just an invitation to come and believe facts and believe truth. It is that. But it's so much more. It's an invitation to a banquet. It's an invitation to the fullness of the eternal God. Draw near with a full assurance of faith. Come and partake of the banquet. It's a spring in the desert. Jesus he proclaims this himself. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, as our bodies are made for food, they're made to hunger for food, they're made to rely and depend upon the sustenance that we get from food. Our hearts, our souls are made for Him. If we don't drink of the living water that He offers, we die. That's what David says. My, my soul, it longs for you. I recognize that I need you. Like the deer pants for water. If it doesn't get water, it's dead. I mean, he's not, he's not saying, God, I need you a little bit. I just, I just need a, you know, a little energy drink to help me get through. He's saying, God, if I don't have you, I'm going to die. I need you above every other thing. The power of the gospel is, is a father standing there with tenderness and mercy, offering that which we need. The very thing we need in the depths of our being and our heart. We need Him. We need Him. 